Hello, and welcome to 7-Minute Explainers, your audio guide to everything you need to know about compelling and complex topics. I'm Paul Waldman, and today I'm going to demystify the debt ceiling. Good evening, everybody. It is the time of Trump. President Trump striking a deal with Democrats and securing an important major legislative victory. Under the president's compromise plan, Congress agreed to pass Hurricane Harvey relief funding, raise the debt ceiling, and fund the government through mid-December. The debt ceiling is in the news again after President Trump sided with the Democrats on a proposal House Speaker Paul Ryan had called ridiculous. ridiculous idea. Paul Ryan and Republicans had wanted something more long-term, an 18-month extension. But alas, you can't always get what you want. We walked out and everybody was happy. Not too happy because you can never be too happy, but they were happy enough. But if you're wondering what the debt ceiling is, why we have it, and what Democrats and Republicans are fighting over, you are not alone. If you're like most people, you probably only heard about the debt ceiling in 2011. That's the year Republicans, newly in control of the House of Representatives, decided to use it as a weapon of extortion against the Obama administration. Up until then, the debt ceiling was benign, a piece of Washington esoterica that no normal person would have occasion to care about. Raising the debt ceiling doesn't actually spend any money. All it does is allow the Treasury to pay the bills for the things Congress has already decided to spend money on. President Reagan did it 18 times. George W. Bush did it seven times. And we have to do it by next Tuesday, August 2nd, or else we won't be able to pay all of our bills. The ceiling is always raised incrementally. And whenever the time for another boost approaches, members of the opposition party usually make a few floor speeches condemning the president's profligate spending, but inevitably an increase is passed. A few of those members might cast a symbolic vote against it, but no one seriously contemplates not increasing it, because that would be ludicrously reckless. So defaulting on our obligations is a reckless and irresponsible outcome to this debate. But congressional feelings about the debt ceiling began to change in 2009 when Barack Obama became president. And the sad truth is that the president wanted a blank check six months ago, and he wants a blank check today. This is just not going to happen. In 2011, GOP members demanded deep budget cuts in exchange for increasing the debt ceiling. This caused a standoff that would eventually result in America's bond rating being downgraded. Luckily, the nightmare scenario of a default was averted. But then we went through a similar crisis in 2013. But let me back up and address some of those initial questions. Namely, why do we have a debt ceiling in the first place? The answer goes back to 1917. The roots of the debt ceiling lie in a tug of war between the executive and legislative branches. In order to raise money to fund our involvement in World War I, Congress created liberty bonds. But there was a catch the Treasury Department had to periodically get Congress's permission to issue them. Then in 1939, Congress passed a law putting a limit on all the debt the government issued. This forced the executive branch to come before Congress from time to time and ask for the authority to issue new debt. In the years since, Congress has always obliged, but they usually raise the ceiling only enough to allow for another year's worth of spending. So, the fact that there is a debt ceiling at all is just an accident of history. Among the world's leading advanced and emerging countries, there's only one other country that has a debt ceiling, Denmark. But Denmark sets theirs high enough that it doesn't precipitate a political crisis when it approaches. If we were to eliminate the debt ceiling, literally nothing would change. Well, except for the fact that one party wouldn't be able to plunge us into a potential crisis by withholding its agreement to raise it. 
The political rallying cry against raising the debt ceiling is often shorthand for a desire to cut spending. But the thing is, the debt ceiling doesn't limit the country's debt in any way. So to be crystal clear, how much debt we have is determined by the budget, what we spend money on, and how much tax revenue comes in. The debt ceiling has nothing to do with that. And for decades, it was like a weapon that nobody was dumb enough to pick up. Which brings us to today. Until recently, the Trump administration couldn't even decide what it wanted to do about the debt ceiling. Trump's director of the Office of Management and Budget, Mick Mulvaney, who used to be a congressional Tea Partier of the burn-it-all-down persuasion, first wanted to use the debt ceiling to force cuts in domestic spending, whereas Trump's Treasury Secretary, Steven Mnuchin, was begging for a clean increase, one that didn't have policy changes attached to it that would cause political squabbling and potentially a stalemate that could result in default, which is what Paul Ryan was hoping to send to the House for approval. Instead, the House grudgingly passed President Trump's fiscal deal with Democrats, which the president then signed. The vote in the House today was 360 to 90, but don't let the bipartisan tally fool you. This was not a kumbaya moment for the Republican Party and the president. The short-term extension of the debt limit averts what could have been a government shutdown at the start of October, when the new fiscal year begins. It also means that Republicans will be forced to vote on it again before the 2018 midterm elections. Meanwhile, the Democrats have earned a powerful bargaining chip for year-end negotiations. And the debt ceiling? Well, the political battle over that issue will unfortunately live to fight another day. And that does it for this episode of 7-Minute Explainers. Look out for new episodes every Thursday on iTunes, theweek.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as a thank you for listening to this episode, we'd like to offer you four risk-free issues of The Week magazine. To get started, visit theweek.com slash for free. That's F-O-U-R-F-R-E-E. I'm Paul Waldman, and thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.